Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And uh, just so that you know, if you've never listened before, we do this in kind of three parts. It'll be a little bit different today, but we basically do it in three parts. The first being some gun-relevant news from the general media, general stories. The next is content creation, uh, you know, news and, and uh, opinions about con- the content that's created on places like YouTube and podcasts. And the third one is my favorite, which is going to be heavy today. So the other, the first two are going to get kind of truncated. But the third one is my favorite, which is questions and answers. And I got a bunch of questions today, so I'm really looking forward to this. And as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can leave it on our Podbean comments section, and I'll be sure to get to it. Or you can email it to me at k at, to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or Podbean, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Okay, the first thing we got to talk about. And, and that's because just it's so comical. But it's also it, it also portends to some of the things that go on in, as far as attitudes towards guns go on. That is my favorite royal, Prince Harry. You know, <laughs> the king of the dolts. He won't be king of England, but he can and is king of the dopes. Um, you know, Prince Harry just, you know, I mean, if... if if brains were dynamite, he couldn't blow his nose. He I don't know if the guy's just innately stupid or if his wife is influencing to say and do stupid things. I, I just don't know what the deal is. But he's managed to turn himself into the ultimate red coat. I mean, he's just the ultimate red coat. He comes over here. Okay, he has a big fallout with his racist family. And because they made... Oh, well, never mind. All of that stuff with his family. He comes to the United States because his wife is a U.S. citizen. And he's welcomed here with open arms. He's treated well. Everything's good. And he gets on, you know, media. And I think it was a podcast. And starts talking trash about the First Amendment. Something he doesn't know anything about. That he even admits, I don't know anything about it, but it's just bonkers. You know, he's an imbecile. He is, you know, he is a complete imbecile. I don't know what it is in that royal family, but they, they produce one after another. Every every generation has to have an imbecile, and a few generations have more than one imbecile. So, uh, anyway, he's an imbecile, and he talks trash about the First Amendment. He comes across as just this arrogant British guy. It's like, hey, hey, British dude, go back to Britain. You don't like it? Go back. We thought we were actually rid of you and the Duchess of Sussex, but you've landed up on our doorstep again. At least be grateful. At least be grateful you're here. You could have said something nice, like, it's wonderful to be here, it's a nice country, people have welcomed me with open arms. But instead, you start talking trash about the First Amendment, and God only knows what his libtard wife and her libtard friends are feeding him about the Second Amendment. You know, and he's going to come out, it's only a matter of time before, before the red coat comes out and starts talking about how bad the Second Amendment is. And um, effectively, if it's so bad, why don't they just move back to England? Same thing with the First Amendment. Hey, you don't like it? Go back Go back to England. That's what I say. So Prince Harry, the royal knucklehead, and his knucklehead duchess, I mean, they're just disgusting. They are terrible, this terribly disgusting. But you watch, you watch. This is the same elite, arrogant attitude that will be applied towards guns and really has already been done so by... A lot of Hollywood celebrities. I mean, face it, that's that's what they do. Even if, like Liam Neeson and Christopher Walken and some of these other people, they make movies that feature guns, and and they make, you know, they don't like guns, but they don't like them, dislike them so much that they won't cash their paychecks at the end of the day for making these movies. I mean, you know, the ultimate hypocrites, and and again. 
the celebrity culture is full of it. I mean, just in more ways than one, the celebrity culture is full of it. Okay, the uh, next thing we'll talk about is the ATM have posted their ghost gun serial number requirements and, and some other stuff um, on their site for public comment. It, it's probably worth commenting on that. I don't think there's any... I don't think it's going to change anybody's mind. I don't think there'll be any revelation where, you know, all of a sudden they do a, a big face plant and say, oh, no, you know, we had this all wrong. They're going to they're going to uh, basically, you know, do what they do what they want to do, which really just seems bizarre. It's more like <clears throat> as near as I can tell, if a ghost gun and that's meaning a, a home build comes into their possession comes into the possession of an FFL the FFL is under the obligation to serialize it put a serial number on it okay whatever I don't know that any outside of an estate type of situation I don't know that they an FFL will even have anything to do with a home build I I wouldn't I just say get out of here I don't want that so I'm not an FFL, but if I had an FFL, that's what I would say. So again, it seems like it's a lot of uh, much ado about nothing, a lot of conflicting, you know, kind of jargon and gobbledygook. But you know, feel free. Just don't don't swear at them because then they can just they don't have to look at your comment at all because you know they're woke and they have feelings and everything. So don't use any bad words. So I also did get a couple of comments. Uh, one or two suggested that I was a little rough on Greta Thunberg. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you can go back to episode 100 and listen to it, but, you know, you have my assessment. A victim of abuse, not really capable, and programmed with, I'm assuming, her parents' ultra-greeny-weenie climate control, climate change... Um, agenda that's what it is and they took somebody who's not who's got some serious problems and uh, have programmed her just like a little ibot vacuum cleaner that that uh, trundles around your living room yeah i mean she's programmed just like that so that is my assessment and that's what i'm staying with so there you go um, in some Second Amendment news, or, or I say, should say gun industry news, you know, I don't know if you've been noticing it, but yeah, ammunition is kind of slowly climbing its way back onto the shelves and into the uh, possession of the people who are selling it. Prices are high. They are coming down a little bit. The prices are coming down a little bit, but they're still pretty high. So, um, you know, I would just wait. I'm just kind of waiting, biding my time because... You know, simply I want prices to go back to a reasonable level and um, I'm not going to pay scalper prices and I don't care who's doing the scalping. They ain't going to scalp me. So there you go. Um, uh, very interesting. Very, very interesting how this is playing out. Same thing. I mean, they, they're even finding that the gun market is slowing down and, and I would say that's as a direct effect of the ammo shortage people aren't gonna go buy guns if there's no ammo if they can't get ammo to shoot in it it's just why would you do that I mean why why would you do that and, and pay inflated prices to boot inflated compared to say 2019 um, people aren't gonna do that and when you're talking about some of the more exotic guns um, that you're never gonna see ammo for in the in the near future anyway and the one that comes to mind is a 5.7 by 28. I mean, why would you do that? Why would you pay a buck around for that? If you can find it. If you can find it. How do you find 6 millimeter arc ammo? I don't know. Where do you look for it? It isn't around. It's hard enough to find 7.62 by 51, 9 millimeter, and um, 5.56. It's hard enough to find those. Some of these other ones are going to be really tough and they're come and some of the imports now are coming in you're seeing a little bit more ppu ammo around and everything but hey they're wanting some big money for that um used to be that was kind of under 20 bucks for 
you know, $17, $18 for 20 rounds of their kind of their mil spec 303 or some of that other stuff. Now they're wanting, well, not quite twice that, but close to it. So, you know, it's going to have to change a little bit. And uh, we haven't even gotten into the uh, reloading components yet. I mean, it's it's hard to find reloading equipment and components. That stuff just dried up and um, the companies are struggling to keep up. It will improve. And I've said this before, and it has not come true. But this time, I think you give it another six months. You start looking around Christmas, and I think things will uh, have loosened up. May not be back to normal, but things will be lower priced and a lot more available. Okay, that's really all I really want to talk about in the first first two-thirds of the podcast. And the rest is... Um, questions and answers and I've kind of written these down but I haven't really put a lot of thought or, or I haven't formulated a you know one of those boring responses where you know it's like I'm reading off the deal so I'm just kind of kind of go stream of consciousness with these like like I always do and the first one comes from our friend clown bear and he talked about truck guns what are truck guns and where did they where did that whole notion come from well, I, I don't know for sure. I can only tell you my experience. And my experience was I grew up on a cattle ranch. And, you know, it, it became it became apparent when you were working outside that occasionally you needed a firearm. Uh, because there was an animal that, that uh, a wild animal that was doing something bad to the domestic animals. Or doing some sort, other sort of damage. And so you, you kind of needed something there. Um... And, and, you know, especially if you're on a tractor or something, we had something called ground squirrels, which are kind of like um, uh, prairie dogs. <clears throat> they're similar to that. And, uh, you know, they can do a lot of damage and if they're not controlled. So when you see one of these things and it's starting to grow, one of their colonies starting to grow, you'd, you'd kind of go thin it down a little bit and kind of keep it uh, keep it from just exploding because there was a lot of food for they weren't too particular about what they ate so they would uh, there was a lot of food for them so we, we would just knock those things um, knock those things down and try to keep them under control plus there were also wild animals and you never really knew what you were going to deal see uh, the other the other much less frequent deal was hey you're out and you decide hey there's a covey of quail over there or there's some doves it's the season so therefore i'm i'm gonna hunt so after i do my chores i'll take my shotgun i'll have my shotgun with me after i'm done doing what i'm doing i'll go do a little bit of hunting you know that that was a possibility too but it was mostly tractor or pickup truck type guns and the guns we found that were most useful after after some trial and error what we found was that the ruger 1022 was the most useful uh it had you know 10 shot capacity this was before they had the the super cool mags that you know that were stick out the bottom but it had it had good capacity and a quick change magazine so you know you could uh, it wasn't like a lever action 22 where you had to put them in one at a time you could carry a couple magazines around and you could have 30 rounds available with a quick magazine change so that was kind of nice uh, we tried pistols, you know, they just, they had the power, but they really didn't have the range and, and you had to be in practice with them. And, and of course I was just starting to learn to shoot them then. So I wasn't a great revolver shot at all. And we did, we did not use semi-automatic pistols. It was all revolvers. Uh, that's just the way that was, <laughs> that's just the way that was. And, uh, so, you know, those were the guns we had. We found that the Ruger 1022 is probably the best and it rode around a lot. So that's kind of the background of where some of these things are. It's the gun you would have that you would find useful in most situations that you could uh, essentially just carry around in your vehicle or on your tractor, and it was always there, ready to go. Also remember in those days, um, one of the big things was you could have a gun rack in your pickup, and most of the time, it, you know, the crew cabs and extended cabs and things we have now were, were, were pretty rare, if not impossible, back then. So you had the standard cab pickup, and you had a gun rack that was kind of behind you. And in the rear window, you could see, you know, a shotgun in a 30-30 or something, something similar to that. And, and frankly, it was no big deal. Everybody kind of rode around that way. So you could even go to the store 
you would, you'd lock your vehicle, but you'd go to the store, lock your vehicle, go in, shop, come back out, and nobody would have broken in to steal those those guns. Something that's, you know, unthinkable today, but it was commonplace then. So, you know, riding around with a gun wasn't a big deal, and the gun you rode around with was the one you needed. Now we've gotten into this kind of uber, I don't know, prepper maybe, thing of a truck gun as being kind of the same thing a gun that you would have just in case but it would be extremely low cost so that if you quote lost it quote unquote um, that it wouldn't be a financial deal you're not putting a two thousand dollar rifle you know and, and having it just bang around in your vehicle or or whatever else and a lot of people have come up with things like high point carbines high point pistols um, Moise and the Gants, when they were cheap, were they were popular for, as truck guns and a lot of things. And in case something happens, and, and a lot of that in case something happens was against two-legged problems, not four-legged problems. So it never made any sense to me, the modern incarnation of the truck gun, because... If you're expecting some kind of trouble, you really want your best weapon with you and not something that's, you know, super cheap where the first consideration is A, it's cheap, and B, if I lose it, I don't care. Um, you know, if, you're, if you've got some two-legged, if you've got some two-legged problems, a Moisin Agant is certainly better than nothing, but is that, especially the carbine version, is that really what you want to have or do you really want to have your maybe something that looks more like an M4. Ask the people in St. Louis. If you were standing, if, if that guy was standing out there with a Moise and the Gant, I don't think it would have had the same cachet or <laughs> either psychological value or, frankly, capacity and capability as the rifle he had, which was, you know, the AR-15A2. So it was definitely, definitely... Um, kind of odd that people would want these low low end guns as their everyday gun. The gun that they would most likely use would be a very very low end gun. Um, and especially one guy was was talking about it. Hey, it's a tackle box gun. You know, I put a high point in my tackle box just in case. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, maybe tackle boxes have changed since I was a kid and doing fishing. But they're smelly. They get wet. They got stuff inside there it's not really an environment sometimes it's got a lot of lures with hooks and other things so it's not an environment you're just going to plunge your hand into so I, I would be I was always very skeptical and then you know it, again if you're coming across a problem is the high point that has been exposed to water may not have had any maintenance is it good really for any more than one shot I mean I don't know um it just seems like it's not very smart. If you're expecting trouble, you want one of your better better weapons with you, I would think. Um, that's, just my, that's just my take on it. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for durability, reliability, um, a lot of those things. And I'm not saying that what people envision nowadays as truck guns are bad. But uh, I definitely think that uh, there's a lot better choices. And just the way you carry, the way you do a lot of things. If you're that worried, or if you, you feel that you, you need to carry or have a pistol with you, I don't know that I'd put it in my tackle box. Maybe the inside the waistband holster, just like if you were going anywhere else, would be a better solution and use a gun more suited to defense. So that is the that is kind of my take on on uh, truck guns. I just don't know. I, I just don't know. I just don't know where that low cost median is between I want a low cost gun that I don't really care about if it gets scratched and or if it gets stolen, I don't really care that much, but it's going to be adequate for my defense. I don't know where those two lines cross each other and what at what point they cross and what that means to the type of gun you're carrying. I mean, literally back in the old days, way back in the old days, and this is before my time, but yeah, when you could buy an M1 carbine from the CM, the DCM, before the CMP, 
and you know in the early 60s late 50s yeah you know you could buy one of those in a case of ammunition and probably all the 15 round magazines you wanted and and it just wasn't that big of a deal you you'd buy it and you could carry it around and, and nobody'd care it wasn't considered a high-end gun but a very effective gun especially against most threats anything except the largest most dangerous game on the on the uh, uh, largest and most dangerous um, game on the planet so you, you can't shoot an elk with it you can't shoot a bear with it you can't shoot a moose with it but for you know close range things like coyotes or, or other other predatory animals uh, you know or to defend yourself against two-legged threats and then one carbine back in those days was a pretty pretty good choice as just a gun to have with you so uh, it's definitely definitely has changed quite a bit and uh, you know I don't know I don't know really what the best thing best thing is I would say if you if you put a price say how do you do this as cheap as possible how do you do this as cheap as possible the way I would do it would be to get an 18.5 inch one of those uh, Turkish or, or whatever you know pump 12 gauges that sell for I think they I think those things still 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 sell God I need to learn how to talk sometimes they still sell for around 200 bucks maybe even a little bit less and that would be that would be a pretty good compromise you know and again you have to test it and make sure that it meets your reliability criterion and everything or you go find a used shotgun which can be done a lot of times used shotguns don't command a lot of money because if they got some wear or some other things on them um, they can they can have a problem you know just selling them uh, especially in 12 gauge two and three quarters where everybody wants something longer and more magnum now and all that uh, but you could probably find you know a $200 gun like that and um, you know you got a 12 gauge okay you got a pump 12 gauge that that would be my best advice because there's no more cheap moisten the gants you might be able to find a butchered one cheap carry that around but but again if you're talking about really serious two-legged problems you know that 12 gauge with with double lot buck is probably uh, that, that'd be the one I'd go for if I had to go low end had to go with something other than an M4 and and frankly in 2019 2018 2019 prices you could build an AR that's not much more than that I mean it would be more than that but not so much more as as it would break the bank so there you go that's my take on truck guns all right, the next question. Ooh, this is interesting. Would you fire a Serbu 50 cal? And then it's got a question mark. The answer is yes. RN50, which is the one that everybody's been talking about. Even we talked about it a couple times. You know, the one that had the, the screw-on cap on the end. And uh, would you fire one? And the answer is yes, unequivocally. But I have the same caveat that I have to have with just about every other gun I fire but especially 50 calibers I want to know what ammunition that is and I'll tell you this right now I don't fire a gun when somebody comes up going oh these are my hand loads these are my hot hand loads for this I, I hand them the gun back I don't fire it just because those are the kind of things that will get you in trouble and as you saw with the Serbu thing it's you know, I kind of called it a low-end 50 caliber, and it really is. It really is. It um, it's just designed to actuate a 50 caliber cartridge, and I think I kept calling it. I meant ball ammunition in an M2, which is the 50 caliber machine gun, but I think I kept calling it ball M2, or I kept calling it M2 ammunition. It's not M2. It, it is ammunition that fires at an M2, but it's actually M33 50 caliber ball ammunition. So if you were listening to the last one and you caught that, you are smart. You're a smart person. If you didn't catch that, hey, no worries. But um, anyway, if I had fresh factory M33 ball ammunition, I'd fire one of those Serbu guns. That's no problem. Um, is it my first would I buy one uh, probably not I 
if you just want to actuate a 50 caliber round, it's fine. But I, I, to me, it's as hard to load as a muzzle loader, or at least as time consuming, because you fire it, then you have to open it, unscrew the cap, get the empty out, put the new one in, screw the cap back on. That's more work than I want to do in between shots. So that would not be my first choice. Uh, do I think it's a good design? No. By good design, I mean all guns fail at some point. It's how they fail that is critical. And when that gun fails, uh, obviously you saw it. it. It gets blown in half and the end cap probably shears and becomes a projectile that goes straight back into the face of the shooter. That's what happened at this time. Fortunately, the guy was wearing good enough ballistic protection, so it only it only broke a few bones in his face. But um, that thing, that thing went back into his face the way it failed. Also, the uh, it's got some little ears there that give it some additional strength. One of those sheared off, and I think that's what that's what caused the horrible chest injury that that the guy sustained. But the the deal is, and Serbu initially, he did the, the stupidest thing anybody could do, which is he made a video right after that, and he said, hey, those guns, yeah, they're, they are supposed to withstand 85,000 PSI. Then he made a follow-up video later on after everybody's got this 85,000 in their mind, and they're done and it turns out that those threads will actually take 160,000 psi which means that what basically tore it off was in excess of that so you might have seen 180 to 200,000 psi in that explosion which is horrific which is really horrific probably three maybe even four times what that gun is designed to take and it blows in half and the end cap blows straight back it's up to you whether you do that but any gun will fail and any gun will fail catastrophically and if you put in that type three to four times the pressure and it's about how they fail and uh, I don't imagine any of them fail very pretty but that one particular example is pretty egregious um, it's the way it goes I mean, it's the way it goes, and uh, um, don't don't mess with the safety margins. My my other deal is, you know, that gun is attractively priced. I think it's it's a twelve or fourteen hundred dollar factory item, which is really inexpensive for a fifty cal, which should be a warning sign to you to you as a consumer that things that appear to be that appear to be too good to be true probably are and and it's, again it's kind of a clumsy clumsy design to shoot but it will shoot a 50 caliber and they're probably accurate and, and there are probably some people that meets their need that meets it's at the price point they can afford and it meets their needs so so it's fine but yeah I would shoot one but I would have to have control of the ammo just like I would any other gun because all guns can fail so that's the answer to that all right the next one is related to it. What are slap rounds? And they are Sebo light armor piercing rounds. And this is what are slap rounds and why do they even exist? Well I can I can tell you I can tell you why they exist. And I've just explained what they are and everybody who's watched that video knows it's basically a tungsten bullet that's surrounded by some sort of a plasticky polymer or whatever jacket big thick jacket that fills up the bore and this is like a a tungsten bullet this may be half the bore size and you shoot it and that 
that sebo, uh, which is a French word, actually it means shoe, I think. Um, it's also where they get the word sabotage. But that protects it and starts spinning it. It grabs the rifle and does everything that a bullet jacket would do. Protects the inner core, which is this tungsten bullet, and starts it spinning down the barrel so you get accuracy. Uh, the, the deal is, once it exits the barrel, the sabot is not that firmly attached to the bullet, so it flies off, and the bullet keeps heading down range, spinning, and theoretically is accurate and uh, will hit its hit its target. Target and do what it does. I'll explain in a minute. So that's how that works. And why did they create it? Well. It goes back, World War, the, the 50 caliber M2 heavy machine gun came out in the 1920s. Okay, that's back when tanks were crappy, okay? And tanks had crappy armor. But it was good enough to keep out shell fragments for the most part and rifle bullets and the kind of machine guns they had back then. The Germans during the war decided, well, we need to punch holes in these things. So they got a Mauser rifle scaled up and it took a 13 millimeter round had hellacious recoil but it worked it was their bolt action it worked and it would put a hole in it problem is it didn't have the rate of fire yeah you'd put a hole in it maybe you hit something vital inside maybe you didn't but it couldn't not be it could not be counted on to stop a tank as a kind of a bolt action single shot deal so the, the 50 caliber M2 was a great anti-armor weapon for, you know, the rest of the 1920s. I mean, if an enemy tank was rolling at you and you shot it with a 50 caliber, well, it fires like a machine gun. So you're putting a lot of holes in it and you will hit something vital. So it will knock out tanks of the era. In the 30s, that all changes because tank armor becomes better. And in fact, you know, tank armor will will absorb 50 caliber rounds and they won't kill it anymore. But the 50 cal machine gun is so good for everything else, anti-aircraft use and anything you can mount it on. It's very reliable, powerful, accurate, a really great gun. So we put it on tanks, we put it in bombers, we put it on trucks. I mean, you could put it on, on anything that would carry. The only thing that really wouldn't carry it very well was a Jeep. Rat Patrol was is fantasy. The 50 cal did not work out very well on jeeps, on jeeps, but it worked out very well on everything else. So, we had tons of 50 calibers at the end of the war. I think every bomber had 10 of them. So we had tons and tons and tons of 50 calibers. So we gave them to our allies and we used them on all kinds of post-war things and everything else. And it was a very good machine gun, and uh, heavy machine gun, and it would it would you know light any armored vehicle other than a tank it would pretty much do a damn damn on i mean it would dish rag them so it was still a, a very very useful weapon it just wasn't any good against tanks well in the night and this this is so everybody's all happy with their 50 cals up through the 1960s in 1967 the soviet union introduced a new type of combat vehicle and that combat vehicle was called the bmp and um, I actually know what BMP stands for, but I can't remember it right now, so I'll, I'll just call it the BMP. The BMP is thickly armored. It has, it's low to the ground, and it's got a 73 millimeter gun, which is not quite as powerful as a World War II tank gun, but much more powerful than anything on any other armored personnel carrier at the time. So it's got this really good gun, it's low to the ground, it's fast, and it's not susceptible to 50 caliber fire except at the rear. You know, at the rear where its fuel tanks were in the rear doors, yeah, 50 cal could shred those. But the whole point was you would never really see the rear of these things um, unless, unless it didn't matter anymore because they were all past you and had overrun everything. And, and so anyway, to, to make a long story short, everybody goes into a panic how can our existing weapons fight these things so we had things like the you know we had some good anti-tank weapons the m72a2 law you know we had those um those worked well they developed the m47 dragon which was kind of dog shit but that they introduced that um and it'll, it'll kill a bmp it's just horrible 
to use. The next thing that uh, they had was the uh, um, the tow missile. You know um, that came out late 60s, and that will that will crush any tank or any any BMP. So we had those, but we needed to get our 50 cals back in the game where they could at least do some serious damage to these things and slap rounds was one of the way to do that the tungsten the, the regular ball ammunition of a 50 cal is like regular ball ammunition for anything lead core copper jacket well this had obviously the polymer or plastic sabot and a tungsten bullet which was a penetrator really and that would that had the increased performance so the slap round was designed so that when the Soviet hordes came rolling through the fold of gap, our 50 calibers could basically extract uh, and inflict damage on them and extract a price for them for them evilly rolling through the you know NATO central front. So that was it. Uh, as far as I know, I don't, you know, the military, I was in the military when they were experimenting with them. I, don't, I never saw any, doesn't mean anything, but I never saw any, never heard of anybody using any. Um, and so I, I think that the ac they must have had accuracy problems and maybe even a few other problems that I'm, I'm unaware of. You know, you never, you never really know, you know, what the, what the deal is. Maybe it burned too hot. Maybe the powder, maybe it was too rough on the uh, the guns. The uh, maybe they had to hot load it to get the certain or to get the the armor penetration they wanted, and that turned out to be detrimental to the firing platforms. Never know. I, you never know. Uh, they may still be, you know, in somehow available or in stockpiles, but I don't really think they make them anymore. So therefore, like the ones that were in that. Kentucky ballistics video um, they are very rare and very expensive and in fact the ones he had may have been counterfeit but the the lesson the lesson to learn is it was an imp it was it was a cartridge it was designed to do a certain thing and they thought they could they thought they could use it in an existing platform and for some reason none of that worked um, the other the other issue with those rounds are if you're firing and 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 again people who don't pay attention okay what's the difference between an m2 machine gun and practically every 50 caliber rifle that we have on the market today the answer is the one characteristic that's different is the m2 machine gun does not and did not have a muzzle brake and whether that contributed anything i don't know but it's not difficult to see or understand that perhaps if a piece of sebo got caught or maybe the whole thing was caught in in there you never know did it create a blockage that that made the problem even worse i think the problem with these are i think they were either counterfeit or tampered with rounds and i'm not really sure what the um what the malfunction was but there's definitely bad ammo and it, and it goes back to what i told told everyone in the last podcast it goes back to that cautionary tale of of all surplus ammo you know has to be kind of tested and checked out because you could easily be winding up with something that's not what you um not what you think it is and not what it's supposed to be so those are slap rounds and they probably um they probably experimented with those and other calibers too the the one that comes to mind was the old remington accelerator rounds which were an, a unique idea it's based it's it's essentially the same the same uh, principle they would take a five five six 55 grain let's say bullet put it in a sabot loaded in a 30-06 and that voila all of a sudden you're FUD 30-06 became this super hot varmint gun because you could shoot those things out at like 3,300, 3,400 feet per second. Super cool. Except it didn't really work because you didn't have any accuracy. And prairie dogs are small. And so, yeah, imagine if you hit them with 3,400 feet per second. Probably going to obliterate them. But I don't know that you're going to hit them. 
simply because the rifling in most 30-06 rifles is not designed for a high velocity round like that it's designed for 150 to maybe 220 grain bullet kind of moving at 30-06 velocities which are going to start out about 2800 feet per second and go down so it, it, it didn't work and I think they tried them in several several calibers I think in in my cartridge collection which is an unofficial cartridge collection because there's no rhyme or reason to it it's more like a shoebox with interesting rounds in it um, I think I have one I think I have I know I have one whether I could find it right now or not I don't know but yeah it was a bad idea the other bad idea about it was nobody nobody's gonna hunt varmints with their 30-06 FUD gun and buy this kind of expensive exotic ammo to do it it's it's the the ammo is so much more expensive than than like five five six that you would you just wouldn't do it there's no there's no compelling reason to do that it's most people if you're into hunting that much you're gonna do it they're gonna grab a purpose-built varmint gun and that varmint gun is going to be the one they use rather than this kind of hokey you know accelerator sabode accelerator round that uh, that that's out there so it failed they're gone the ones that are out there now are collectors items and it's the same thing as a slap round basically the very same thing all right the next question what drives the impetus for new handgun cartridge development is it need or evolution that is a very interesting question and I would say that uh, well it's, it's got to be both and the way they usually it's usually a need for more power yeah so I mean it's almost always been a need for new for um, for additional power I can't think of anything that was really designed purely for accuracy that's it's usually just optimizing something that's already there like 22 long rifle or or any of the you know traditional target rounds but when you look at like the 357 Magnum a lot of power there was a need for more power because they had to fight bad guys in the 30s and and that's a long evolution 38 short cold 38 long cold 38 special and then 357 so there's like four cartridges they just innovative uninnovatively just kept making it longer and putting more powder in and 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 voila they have a, a new new better round um i would say that the and 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 a an interesting case is 40 smith and wesson because that started out as 10 millimeter that was actually kind of cut back to make it less powerful so that it would be more controllable and they could put it in it oh, some smaller framed guns so that's kind of it that's kind of a reverse uh, deal but and that was driven by need and there was no real I guess you could say it's reverse evolution <laughs> you know they took something longer and made it made it smaller um, another uh, another example of that simply because of the guns they were in was Smith and Wesson 45 Schoenfeld 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 you know that was the 45 Colt that was actually made a little bit shorter so it could fit in the Smith and Wesson Schofield God it's Schofield how 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 bad was that Schoenfeld no Schofield um, so it um, it actually was was kind of like the 40 Smith and Wesson only just due to dimension wasn't really power it was dimensions of the of the gun they wanted to use it in so I'd say it's a it's a combination of both it's a need and it's a uh, evolution the only one that defies that that I can think of well there are two that defy that that I can think of and there may be more um, yeah there are more uh, okay one is 500 Smith & Wesson talked about it last time hey I just need to make the biggest bullet biggest baddest bullet on the market there it is okay that's fine uh, same thing 460 Smith & Wesson 
we need to outdo the 454 Casol. We'll just stretch it. We'll stretch it one more time and uh, stretch the 454 Casol and make the 460. Uh, the the ones that started though from kind of nothing, um, and in the same vein, uh, are like the 50 A and E. You know that was let's make a 50 caliber semi-automatic. Okay, great. So they basically take a case that's got a rebated rim because it's 44 magnum size because they already had that way you can use parts from your earlier guns use those designs so 50 a and e definitely was uh and something we'll talk about later 44 auto mag 357 auto mag those were just boom you know they didn't really develop those from any they developed them for kind of from each other but not from anything else so yeah, usually it's neat, and if there's an evolutionary process that'll uh, support it, they usually go that way. But sometimes there are things that just pop out of nowhere. Okay. Doo -doo -doo -doo. And the next one is, have you seen the new 44 Automag, the AM, I don't know if it's AMT or AM, 44 Automag, the new one. Yes, I have seen it only in pictures, and... Uh, it's still the very cool gun. It still has all the problems of the original. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> you know, the original was very, very cool gun. And, and in fact, if it hadn't been used in a one of the 1980s ver, um, Dirty Harry movies, it would probably be largely forgotten. It's kind of like the Wildy, you know. There's That's in like Death Wish 4 or something. And um, or Death Wish 3 or Death Wish 4. And, and every time that kind of plays or, or pops up, I guess the company that still hangs on and makes a few of them gets a few orders. But the, the auto mag is the same way. Uh, the Having lived through the Magnum period in handguns, uh, it was looked upon as it was a great innovative handgun. It used stainless steel, which was rare in those days. Um, they did have to specially lube it. I think the new ones now, they... They know how to use the different types of stainless so they don't uh, uh, have any problems. And the ammunition was always a problem because there was only like one place that made it. So, you know, if you didn't have that, you either had to find some very hard to find cases or you had to cut down 308 ones, 308 deal. And so you had to be a pretty advanced hand loader to keep one of those going on more than just the box a year or every couple of years kind of a kind of a deal uh, they did have recoil and you can see when you look at the gun it's not it's not really designed for recoil mitigation but they're beautiful they were accurate and they 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 delivered they were exactly what they were supposed to be but I think they list starting like at thirty four thirty five hundred dollars and just go up from there depending on options so that is not a cheap gun it is very much a gun for a collector or connoisseur uh, or somebody who's who's very very uh, uh, well off who you know can can buy that you can actually buy a much better gun in my opinion my honest opinion you can buy a much better gun in the desert eagle and you can now get it in the new 427 Desert Eagle, which is an improvement on the old 440 Corbon. You can still get it in 44 Magnum, and you can get it in 50 A&E. And it's about half the cost, and it's a much better gun, much more established. Um, Ten years from now, you'll still be able to get parts for it. These others, the Auto Mag, I don't know. It was one of those guns... I think the auto mag, you know, killed a couple of gun companies that tried to make it, you know. It's kind of like the AR-180, you know. Every company that tried to make it died trying to make it. So, um, you know, it's one of those. But if you if it's something that you've always wanted and go for, I think the quality is definitely there. And, uh, you know, they are definitely unique and definitely are a signature piece. All right, next question. And wow, I told you, we had questions. Now that the what would Stoder do rifles are out, what do you think? Well, I still think they're garbage. I mean, I still think the concept is garbage. I think the rifles are are 
they are what they are. I, I don't need a lightweight version of a lightweight rifle. It's like getting the diet version of light beer. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I was up on our property, and uh, to make a long story short, um, I've been using an AR-15 A1. Been using it and like it. It's a great field rifle, great rifle to trundle around the property with. It's lightweight, accurate, everything about it is nice. I was um, I was holding it out at arm's length, just marveling how light it is. I don't need a lightweight version of that rifle. I really don't. Um, I really don't. And in fact, the what would Stoner do rifles kind of are going in the reverse direction of what an AR rifle is doing. They People are going towards the 14.5 barrels and they're using heavier barrels, not pencil barrels like these guys use. And, and there's reasons for that, heat dissipation being one of them. Um, I also don't like, I don't care for the lower. I don't like anything. The, le, the less polymer I have, the happier I am. And I can accept aluminum a lot better than polymer. I don't like the fixed buttstock, even though I know there's some Rube Goldberg way of, you know, adding spacers onto the end of it. Um, I don't really need it added. I kind of like it, though, when I can adjust it depending on what other kind of equipment I'm carrying. And if I'm doing that, I am not going to you I'm not going to. I'm not going to fool with spacers. I just want to adjust the stock the way the current M4 stock is. So uh, I just don't see. I don't see the point. I don't believe it is. I, I think even the title is misleading. Stoner would not make the rifle they're making, and and most people are shocked to hear this. But Stoner was a. He was a former Marine. He was a 30 caliber guy. Stoner was a big AR-10 guy. He he the AR-10. Some other guys came in, and I suppose he worked with them or whatever. But um, it, it was a team that, that kind of made the AR-10 and the AR-15. Uh, the AR-15 uh, was was smaller, and Stoner was was not a a die-hard 5.56 guy. So I don't know that he would he would probably design something in um, a different caliber. Uh, probably. If you were going to, if you were designing rifles today, it might look like an AR-180 in a 7.62 by 39 or something, or or some other, maybe a six millimeter um, by 39 or something. You know, there there would be some interesting thing that he would do. So it would not be. Let's take every aftermarket lightweight component we can, mesh them together, and hope it works. And for the most part, I suppose it does. But I, I will also tell you, anything that those rifles, they'll be great gamer rifles. They'll be fun rifles for people to show off and and talk about what what how smart in range TV is and and everything else. But they will not be ever be used by a military organization because they're not durable enough. And when you compromise durability, you also compromise in the long term reliability. Um, it's an interesting experiment. It certainly isn't worth seventeen or eighteen hundred bucks. <laughs> you know? And when I could build something that's less and better, in my opinion, just better. Uh, I mean, take an A1. You're you're getting you're getting another five and a half inches of barrel, and the weight just isn't that much greater. It just isn't that much greater. But you're getting a lot of barrel length in, when that. And velocity is important because bullet energy, there's some equation where it's like the square of the velocity. It, it, it improves, it squares itself with the increase in velocity. So faster you go, the more, uh, the more energy you have. So getting a bullet going slower is not really the way to go. It's the opposite way to go. So that's what I think about the What Would Stoner Do rifles. If you have one and like it, good on you. Uh, but... I'll pass, and I think some other people are passing on those too. Okay, the next question. Are PCCs, pistol caliber carbines, the wave of the future or a fad? And I have to say unequivocally they're a fad. <laughs> they're a fad. They're the <laughs> they're the not they're the pistol rifles. Uh, I don't have anything against them. 
I have one. It's an old, the old model Ruger PC9 that I that I put a um, an fairly inexpensive dot scope on. And you know what? It's it's good gun and everything else. But and I have found use for that. Um, I've said this story before. I killed a feral dog on our property we had in California, where you know, hey, it's it wouldn't have been too cool to be out there blasting with uh, 7.62 by 51 or or 5.56 pistol caliber carbine, kind of a smaller report. Um, it it just it just fit that property a lot better, um, and at the ranges I was dealing with. So all of that is good, but you know, frankly, they're just not interesting. Most of them. Many of them are in 9mm, and 9mm is not that interesting, 9mm Luger is not that interesting a rifle round to me. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the the way I go on that. The ones I do like are really kind of the Old West inspired ones, um, 3840, uh, even 38 Special 357 is good, 45 Bolt, a couple of those are yeah, obviously the modern incarnations. 4440 is pretty cool. A lot of those are very cool guns. Uh, so those, those kind of pistol carbines, the historical ones, I really like. Um, so that's how I'm, I'm kind of viewing those. I don't really lump in the um, semi-automatic versions of of Thompson's or Grease Gun or something else because those are those are really made for another purpose. I mean, those are those are because I can't afford a Thompson, so I get one of those instead. So, uh, that's they're not real PCCs in the way that we modernly think of them. So, yeah, they're a fad. I think they'll, they'll always have some popularity, but it's like I've always said, if you have a rifle and a pistol, or a carbine and a pistol in the same caliber, you have one of two things. Um, your pistol's too powerful, <laughs> or your carbine's not powerful enough. <laughs> so, so there you go. That's the uh, that's kind of the way that works. All right. Next question. Oh, this is an easy one. Is wildcatting cartridges still making sense? In other words, should I should I waste my time to develop wildcat cartridges? The answer to that is a big no, 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 no. Um, Wildcatting 60, 70 years ago had some relevance, has no relevance today. I mean, there's so many calibers out there. I, I think that's one of the reasons we have an ammunition shortage is they're trying to produce, you know, the myriad of calibers out there now has probably... I can easily say that in my reloading lifetime, we have 10 times as many calibers as we did, you know, back, well, let's just pick a date. Let's say 1975. Between 1975 and today, we've got 10 times as many calibers. When you look at short magnums and ultra magnums and, you know, all of this. Um, and I think that while on paper, some of these calibers are better. Um, in practicality, they're not. So, therefore, there's there's a caliber out there that will do almost everything you want. There's no need to wildcat anything. Uh, and you know the the thing about wildcatting was it was a the guy it, the guys who were experimenters. It was awesome for them. It was awesome for a regular shooter though you know you have to make your own brass you have to you have no choice it's a wildcat so you make your own everything and there was a lot of satisfaction in that i suppose but nope today it has no relevance today it has no relevance okay has the here's an interesting question as i as i kind of read it before i actually verbally read it has the ar action become the new template for rifle cartridges for rifle cartridge development didn't even read that right okay for rifle cartridge development you know I have to say that uh, except for long range I think that is by and large correct I think that is by and large correct everybody's looking and it's not even AR-10 because AR-10 will take 
762 by 51 which is a fairly large cartridge and you can also get 6.5 Creedmoor in there and a few other things but yeah six when you start thinking of six millimeter arc you start thinking of the 300 blackout you start thinking of 350 legend you start thinking of all those things and then there's the, uh, the socom ones and you know 458s and and all the rest of these there's more than you can name when you start thinking people are developing cartridges simply to fit in that platform and it's the 556 platform is the one that seems to be the most popular so I, th I think it has become in many ways it may not be the template but it's an important template and the only things that I can think of that really aren't are becoming the uh, the extended long-range cartridges which won't fit I mean that's still bolt guns are still king there but uh, I think one of the things we will see in PRS it's only a matter of time before the AR takes over and a lot of people say, ah, that'll never happen, you know, I've got the, you know, whatever, 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 you know, high-speed bolt action and all that. But I, I will say that for two reasons. Number one is the AR can be made very, very accurate, competitive with some of the best bolt guns. And number two, uh, a lot of that is based on follow-up shots. You know, they they give you X amount of seconds for five shots or 10 shots or whatever it is. The AR loads better. The, you know, the magazine system there is the best one there is. So as long as speed becomes, as a speed becomes more important in PRS, precision rifle series, then the, the ARs will slowly take over. And it's only a matter of time. And, and it's also a question of finding the right cartridge. And 6mm arc may be the right cartridge. So we'll see. Same thing with uh, NRL 22. Um, my brief experience with NRL 22 before the program got kiboshed, where I do most of my shooting, was um, strictly that, um, hey, uh, I tried a bolt gun. And when you get... 10 shots in 70 seconds or whatever the, the bolt gun just is you know not really all that user friendly and I thought at the time that a dedicated 22 AR you know with the right kind of barrel with the right kind of scope and just think how you know the scope is so simple to mount on top of the pick rail upper upper you know, you can drop in any kind of, there, there's so many match triggers now, you know, as epitomized by the Geisley trigger. You can drop all that in to a dedicated 22 AR and, hey, you're in business, you know. And it's only a matter of time before somebody comes up with one that meets kind of the reliability standards. If I couldn't go with that, I would probably go with a Ruger 1022. Going with a bolt gun was a mistake. An expensive mistake I got a really cool gun and uh, um, everything else but in my opinion semi-automatic is the way. when you have a time limit bolt guns do not do well with time limits they just don't they just do not tight time limits maybe um, you could you could qualify it that way but bolt guns do not do well with time limits and I don't care what anybody says if you've used one in competition you know the deal you are you you are spending time and you know this should have been a lesson I this was a lesson I learned years and years and years ago when I started high power rifle shooting um, you know I shot service rifle because I like the M1A the M1A is is awesome and that was the that was the deal there that's what I wanted um, what actually happened was uh, my shooting partner was, you know, being a curmudgeon, was shooting an O3, A3 or something else. And the time he lost, the concentration he lost in cycling the bolt was just immense. 
and it never progressed because he hit the limit where he could only shoot so well with also having to cycle the bolt and everything else where with me it was firing an M1A was just fire and it automatically reloaded and I was on to the next shot I wasn't worried about getting rid of the empty chambering the new one and, and going from there so that's how that works um, in PRS in NRL 22 just as in high power the semi-automatics can kick butt and it's just a question of getting the right the right combination of accuracy and 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 getting a good trigger but i would say the ar has a tremendous advantage now because it's so easy to scope and it's so easy to get a match grade trigger that just drops in and they're not that expensive what are they sub for less than $250, you can get an absolutely great trigger in there. So uh, that's that's all very, very good. And it uh, um, it's going to be leaning that the uh, to be competitive, you will need an AR. I guarantee it. It's coming. It's coming. We have not, the, the AR has not yet begun to fight. That's what I would say in these, in these precision rifle type events. So we'll see. All right, well, that is it for this edition of Old School Guns, our 102nd episode. And again, if you have any kind of a uh, um, comment or question, you can leave it on Podbean in our comments section, or you can email it to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. But until then, and until the next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>